David the shepherd king. David anointed king in uh, chapter 16. Remember how we got here from the very, very beginning of the book. Um, Hannah gave birth and uh, here we... um, Samuel, and then here Samuel uh, coronated basically Saul as king, and they um, they wanted a king because they were tired of dealing with God, I guess, and they wanted to be like everybody else. So they decided, we want a king. And so remember, Saul is God's judgment on Israel. He's not, it's not a blessing. And um, we taught early on that be careful sometimes what you pray for because God may give you what you're asking for even though it could be not his will. And so Saul became king and they rejected God and they rejected God's servant Samuel. And even Samuel, remember, tried to talk him out of it. Remember, he was constantly saying, this is not a good deal. Don't allow this to happen. This will not work out well. And the people said, no, we want a king, and this is the one. He looks so good. And Saul or Samuel even warned them what it was going to be like to live under a king, and they didn't really care. So we start in, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 16. Remember what happened Last week, it says, the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That doesn't mean God changed his mind. It doesn't mean that he is reneging on what happened. He's just regretful at the outcome of of what's going down. And sometimes, even as parents, you know, we trust our children to do the right thing. And when they don't, we regret it. But it is what it is. And so that's that's what that's talking about here. And now, uh, you stop and you think why he made Saul king over Israel. It was because the people would not let it go. They wanted a king. They wanted a king. They were rejecting God. They rejected pretty much Samuel. And they decided, you know what, they want a king so much they're, they're willing to take this guy Saul. And that's exactly what they did. And so tonight we're going to look a little bit about how God's evaluation differs from ours when it comes to situations, when it comes to people, when it comes to any kind of things like that. And he starts off in verse 1, very telling here. He says, Yahweh said to Samuel, remember wherever it's capitalized, it's, it's God's name, Yahweh. Yahweh said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? This was a honest... Uh, grieving that that Samuel was having. Remember, he's the representative of God. And so his heart is really God's heart. He wants to do what God wants to do, and he's pretty much lived up to that throughout this whole thing. And now he, he realizes, wow, the Lord's grieving over this, and Samuel's grieving over it as well. And he's probably back in his home by this point, and he's just kind of crying over this whole thing he's really bothered by it and the lord comes along and says how long will you grieve over saul in other words look there comes a time in ministry there comes a time in life 
when you simply have to utter the words, get over it, <laughs> right? And that's kind of what God's saying to Samuel. Look, okay, it didn't turn out good, great, but you know what? I have other plans for you. You're not going to sit here in your house and just cry over this deal. You have to get over it. How long are you going to do this? And so he gives him a, a command, and that's the first thing we see here in the first five verses, his command to Samuel. He says, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him, rejected him from being king over Israel? Remember, it was God who installed Saul just because the people wanted it. It wasn't necessarily his direct will, but it was his providential will. He allowed it to happen. And so now he's saying, look, I have rejected him. So why are you grieving over something that I did? That's what God is appealing to Samuel over. And sometimes we don't understand this, but God is over all these things, right? So sometimes we could, maybe we get fired from a job and we're all depressed and we're, <laughs> you feel rejected and we're grieving and we're grieving and we're grieving. And sometimes God has to come on the, tap us on the shoulder and say, what are you grieving for? Don't you know this was my will for you? I don't want you to work there anymore. I got something else for you. I got something better for you. And sometimes it happens right away. Sometimes it doesn't. But we have to be patient and understand that God is over these things. He is in control of these things. And so that's what, that's what he's asking him that question. He says, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel, you need to, you need to stop this. Uh, and so he says there, basically, he's dealing with the failure of Saul, that's what he's grieving over. And then God commands him. He says, I will send you. He goes, fill your horn with oil and go. <laughs> now, the horn was, was something they would use to keep oil in. They'd wear it around their neck, on their shoulder. kind of little. And they would use this oil to, for the sake of uh, dedicating. All right. Uh, remember when, uh, we'll see tonight, when, when David gets anointed as king but remember when Saul got anointed as king he was they used the oil they put the oil on it and the oil is really representative of in the bible at least in these situations the reason the the priest would do this is it really represented the spirit of god flowing down over these people because when you think about oil if you dump oil on your head you know, enough oil that starts dripping down. It it goes in every little crevice and every little. It doesn't just you know make one little stream. It 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 completely coats its thing. You use oil when you cook things. Okay, if you're going to put something on the grill, you'll coat it with oil maybe first, so it doesn't stick to the grill. And you don't have to use it much. You just but it but it completely covers it. And that's kind of the the picture of the Holy Spirit coming upon these individuals. Remember in the Old Testament when. When they would, when God would have a, a certain individual to do something special for Him, He would anoint them and do them with the Spirit of God. It wasn't for salvation; it was just for a special task. And that's how Saul had the Spirit, and we're going to find out that's how David gets that as well. But he's he's telling him, "Look, get your horn, fill it with oil, and go. I'm going to send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite." For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So what God is doing here simply is he's saying, you know what? Israel had their king. They wanted a king. I gave them a king. Wasn't my, my plan. Wasn't my ideal. I, I did it as a way to discipline them. 
They thought they were getting something good. But they, they, they weren't. And sometimes that's how we feel. We feel we want something, we pray for it and pray for it and pray for it, and finally God says, okay. <laughs> and they end up getting it. And it may not be the best thing for you. But God is trying to teach us something through that. It doesn't mean it's just rotten eggs. It doesn't mean we just throw it out. It's, it's, a, it's a lesson. And so this is a lesson. He's teaching Israel a lesson through this whole process. And so he says, I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided, look at what he says, for myself a king among his sons. So because Saul failed, because Saul blew it, if you look back at, at chapter 15, verse 26, he says, And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord of Yahweh, and the, Yahweh has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, Yahweh has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So he exacts judgment of God upon Saul. And it was because of his failure that God commanded him, look, you need to go see Jesse. And he's got a a boy and this is the God that I have. Or this is the, uh, the uh, king that I have for Israel. This is the man of my choosing. And that's why he says there, and it's very clear in verse 1, for I have provided for myself. This isn't the people. This isn't them whining about having another king. This is God providing for himself a king. Now, the one thing that God always does is when he provides things for us, sometimes it comes out a left field. You know, sometimes God uses the silly things of this earth, right? The lowly things of this earth, um, the humble things of this earth to for his glory. And the things that are high and lifted up, he chooses not to use. That's his prerogative. And really, when you think about it, the whole idea is that who gets the most glory for that? When God chooses the lowly of this earth, you know, when he chose a bunch of fishermen, to be his disciples, to start this whole thing called the church. I mean, even people of, of their day, they said, look at these silly guys. Who, who are they? They're those fishermen, you know, from Galilee, no less. You know, so they, they didn't really, weren't concerned about them creating any lasting movement because they're just fishermen. But God took them because their hearts were sold out to him. And as a result of that, what happened? I mean, the whole church was, was born and, and the cause of Christ went on. And so God has a way of using... Uh, people who are may not have all the gifts and all the talents and all the the intellect, but he uses them for his glory. And so he says, I've provided for myself a king among his sons. Well, look at what Samuel says. Samuel answers in verse 2. He says, look, how can I go? We're going to do this again? I've already done this for you once, God. If Saul hears that I'm out king shopping, guess what's going to happen to me? Yeah, my head's going to be on a platter. I don't think this is a good idea. That's what he's thinking. And he says, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. So Samuel's kind of reluctant a little bit here, just like he was reluctant when God told him, yep, anoint Saul king. Remember, Samuel even argued with the people. He argued with God. He said, this isn't a good idea. Well, here he's not really arguing. He's just saying, what? What? 
Do you know if I do this, he's going to kill me? It's not a good thing to go out and try to depose a king, look for his replacement. And the Lord Yahweh said to him, take a heifer, take a calf with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. You know what? Don't worry about the rest. I'll show you what you need to do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. So once again, what's Samuel doing? He's stepping out in faith, right? Remember back when he went to anoint uh, Saul? And, you know, the whole, the, whole, the whole way this whole thing became, you know, he had to meet these guys and all this stuff. God set it all up. His providential care, he took care of everything. Well, he's doing the same thing here. But now he's doing it because this is his choice. This is God's choice for this king. So there's a fear of Saul in the land. Remember, Saul was a warrior. He was not, you know, um, I mean, he, he did do a lot of good things for Israel, but unfortunately he wasn't following the Lord. And so he goes on here and he says, here's what I need you to do. I I hear what you're saying. You know, if he hears about this, this is not going to be good. And Yahweh said, take this cow and uh, just tell him I've I've come to sacrifice to the Lord if you run into him. All right. Now, is that lying? Not really. Is God telling Samuel to go and lie? You know, if somebody asks you, just tell him this. Well, he's just saying, you don't have to give him all the information. Right? It's like if uh, I've heard of people who smuggle Bibles into foreign countries. And sometimes they're stopped at the border. And sometimes they're asked point blank. What do you have in the bags? Never to say books. I mean, they're Bibles, but they are books. And he says, sometimes they'll say, well, what kind of books? They'll say, oh, spiritual books, you know, whatever. (laughs) And there may be some spiritual books in there, but, you know, so you don't have to come out and say, oh, yeah, I'm trying to smuggle Bibles into your country. All right. Um, God understands that. Now, if they ask you directly, do you have Bibles in that suitcase? I don't think you should lie. God doesn't condone lying. And so here's this situation. He says, look, I'm going to give you a cover story. And it's actually a very incredible cover story when you stop and think about it. He's got this calf with him, this heifer, and he's got the oil around his neck. And, you know, if he runs into to, to, to Saul, he can just say, hey, you know, yeah, I'm here to sacrifice. And, you know, what well, do you got that oil around your neck? Last time you had that oil around your neck, you know, you poured it on my head. You made me king. You're, are you trying to maybe, uh, you know, work up another deal here with somebody? You know, that's what he's, he's kind of insinuating might happen. And so he tells him, look, just tell him you're going to go sacrifice. Well, what happened last time when Samuel sacrificed? Do you remember? He was supposed to come. He was supposed to, Saul was supposed to wait seven days, right? It cost him a little kingdom, right? Exactly. So Saul was supposed to wait seven days for Samuel to come. And Samuel did come. He just didn't come on time, on, on, on the... The, uh, he came on the seventh day, but it wasn't the time that, that Saul wanted him there because the people were getting restless. They were losing confidence in his leadership. And so what did Saul do? He just took the thing and, and sacrificed it himself. He made a sacrifice himself, even though he wasn't a spiritual leader. He shouldn't have done it. It cost him from there and on. It was downhill. Okay. 
He was disobedient to the Lord. Well, here, this cover story is just ideal. If he does run into Saul, he's like, oh, I'm just here to do another sacrifice. Okay. So Saul's probably going to go, oh, okay, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> that got me in trouble last time. I don't, I don't want to touch that. But the other thing you have to understand, the only time the priest would even come to a town, unless it was Gilgal or, or the temple to do a sacrifice, was when there was a murder. That's the only time the priest would come. And if there was a murder, the priest would come with all his sacrificial stuff, and he'd do a sacrifice, and they'd try to figure out what happened. Okay? And they would use the, the, the sacrifice to try to appease the Lord and, and try to ask him to point out who, who committed this murder. And that's the only time the priest would ever come. So we're going to find out in a second here, when they actually do come into the city, what the people's reaction is. Well, that's why. And so here he says, you know what? Just say you've come to sacrifice to Yahweh, but I want you to invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I want you to invite him. Now, before you had a sacrifice, what would you have to do? You would have to have yourself cleansed, right? So you have to go back to your houses, and you'd have to wash your hands and wash your clothes. It was a very special thing um, in, in Israel. You couldn't just come out of the field and go to a sacrifice. You had to go uh, kind of uh, clean yourself up, consecrate yourself. And so what happens here, if you look at this, um, he, he tells him basically that, you know what, I need you to make sure that you are going to do what I'm asking you to do. And so he says here, take this heifer, come to sacrifice to, to Yahweh, invite Jesse to the sacrifice, I'll show you what to do. And he says, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. In other words, God doubles down once again, and he says, you know what, this is my choice. It's not uh, the people's choice. And so we're going to do this the right way uh, this time. And so when you, you stop and think about it, here was Samuel. He was hesitating because of the failure of Saul. He was hesitating because of the fear of Saul. And then we get down to basically uh, the requirement here for obedience. He says, fill your horn with oil, in verse 1, and go. And this is a, a command. This isn't an option. He's not giving Samuel an option here. Hey, if you feel like doing this for me, you know, he was God's representative, and he, he abided by that. But he also, as we just saw, he provides guidance and instruction. He doesn't just say, go off and do whatever you want. He says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you excuse me, how this should go down. And, you know, in Proverbs, it tells us just that as believers, right? In Proverbs chapter 3, it tells us that we have the same, the same promise. It says, trust in the Lord, uh, or in verse 3, excuse me, uh, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, bind them around your neck, write them on your tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And then verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and what? He will what? He will direct your paths. He will make your paths straight. What? Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And so the Bible points out to us time and time again, and in those other verses as well, that God provides us guidance. He provides us instruction. He doesn't just send us off on a rabbit, you know, wild rabbit chase, trying to figure out what he wants. He continually provides that for us. 
And so we see the reasons why, we see the requirement that he fulfilled there. But then in verse 6, we begin to see the choice of who this was. But look at verse, as we close off this part here, look at what happens. Um, Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord Yahweh commanded, and he came to Bethlehem. He did it immediately. Okay, I'm going to do this. We're going to do this again, God? Okay, here we go. It says, the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, they're always coming, they must have had lookouts or something, because whenever they saw these guys coming, they'd always go out to meet him. Saul did that, other people did that, and they did the same thing. The elders of the town said, oh man, here comes Samuel, that priest. Uh, And it says, they came out to meet him, trembling. (laughs) They said, do you come peaceably? Now, if you stop and think about that, it's kind of a logical question. The last time they saw Samuel, remember, he's back in his house whining over God's, uh, or, or Saul not being king anymore. He's grieving over that. He's grieving over Saul. He's probably feeling a little bit maybe responsible. He may be even feeling like he has a, a, a case of the, you know, hey, I told you so's. I mean, he could have said that legitimately, right? Because he did. He told God and he told the people, this is not going to be a good deal when I anoint Saul king. And so, for whatever reason, he was in his house. The last time these people saw him, what was he doing? Hacking up Agag, remember? I mean, he totally cut somebody up in the presence of all these people. I mean, dismembered them and just cut them up into small pieces, it says. With a machete. I mean, can you? He may still have had blood on his clothes from the king that he killed. Who knows? And so here this guy comes back into town, and these elders are going, oh, no, no, he's coming back. You know? And they're thinking, is he coming peaceably, or does he have a sword with him? What's he going to do now? He just hacked this king to death. And so that's why they came out. They came out trembling. And they said, do you come peaceably? And here's the story. He says, he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to, the, to Yahweh. That's what he says. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So it's an ingenious plan, right? He's got the cover of the heifer, the oil. He's here to do a sacrifice, and he will do a sacrifice. The people ask him, wow, why are you here? He couldn't just say, well, I'm here to coronate the new king, you know, to consecrate the new king. No, he said, hey, I'm here to to do a sacrifice. Uh, You need to go consecrate yourselves. What does that make all the people do in the town? Where do they go? They go back to their houses. So everybody's going home. And that gives Samuel the opportunity to say, hey, uh, Jesse, I'm coming with you. (laughs) I'm going to consecrate myself at your house today. And so he goes to Jesse's house, and that's, and he invited them to the sacrifice. And it says, and when they came, he, he looked, the, the sons there, he looked at Eliab, and this was the oldest son. Now, this gets to the point where we can learn some practical things from this part of Scripture. And the first thing is, is that God's standards are different than ours. And we see this in verses 6. To ten, God's standard are different than ours. Remember what what drew the people to Saul. His height, right? 
right? His looks, his big guy, tall guy. And they thought, wow, this is, this is definitely um, the guy. Yeah, he looked kingly. Exactly, you're exactly right. And see, as a result of that, what happens is, you know, when we come into our lives each and every day, sometimes we're, we're faced with decisions and it looks like one thing because we're just seeing the outside of it, right? We're seeing the circumstance for what it is and we think, well, rather than inquire the Lord, I'm just going to go ahead and make this decision and, and God wants us to say stop. You know, you don't always just look at, you know, the face value of something. It may be different from what it looks like. And so this was the case here. And so he points out here, basically, that, you know what, he, he, he chose David, but look at how this happens. He brings the oldest son out, and Samuel said, oh, this is, this is definitely the guy. Well, what's he doing? He's, he's basing that on what happened with Saul, right? Because Saul was a big guy, and this guy's kingly, okay? But, says, Yahweh said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, or the height of his stature. What's he doing? He's rebuking Samuel. He's saying, hey, don't, don't get the, the, the cart in front of the horse, Samuel. I'm still in charge here. And this is not the guy. Even though in your wisdom, you think you know that that's the guy, it's not. And that's the first point. We don't know what he knows. We don't have any right to say that something is God's will or it's not God's will, if we have no instruction from God on the matter. We don't have a right to say that. Um, In James chapter, look over at James real quick. James chapter 4. And verses uh, 13 to 17. James 4, 13 to 17. Here's what it says. Come now, you who say, today and tomorrow, or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Okay? Coming up with their own scheme here, their own plan. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow may bring. What is your life? For you are a mist, a mere vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. What is God telling us? He's saying, you know what? We don't know what God knows. We're not on the same level. So we can't just chime in all the time. Oh, that must have been God's will. We don't know on everything. And so here Samuel presumes that this tall guy... Eliab comes out, oh, this must be the guy. But Yahweh said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Why? Because I've rejected him. Yeah, this guy looks like a king, but you know what? He's not my king. For Yahweh sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So we don't know what God knows, and we don't see what God sees. We can't. We can't weigh the motives of somebody's heart. Uh, you know, I put down some references there. 
you know, it's important to understand that <coughs> when, we, when we see things from our perspective, we're seeing it from a fallen, as fallen individuals, right? And, and what does God see when he, you know, looks down on us? You know, he sees what? He sees our hearts. Um, like right now, we're in this room and we have a roof over our heads. You know, does that mean when God looks down, he sees us in here? He doesn't need to see us. His knowledge isn't based on his sight. His knowledge is, is based on his omniscience. He knows everything anyway. So he doesn't need x-ray vision to see us in this building. He already knows what's in our heart. He knows because he knows us as individuals. And that's, that's a very important thing to remind yourselves of because when you stop and you think, you know what, we don't see what God sees. Then the other question is, well, what exactly does God see <laughs> in my life? What is God seeing when nobody else is around? That's it's such an important question to ask. And he says in verse uh, uh, 8 here, <clears throat> he says, uh, Then Jesse calls the next son, Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. So he's kind of going down the thing here, eight sons. And he said, nope, neither has Yahweh chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shama pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. He spares us going through all of them, but seven of them have gone through. And Samuel says to Jesse, Yahweh has not chosen these. And at this point, it's interesting what Samuel must be thinking. Like, really, God? We're going to go do this thing again? I mean, <clears throat> but he doesn't blame God. He's blaming Jesse. Because look at his next, the next sentence. He says in verse 11, verse 10, he says, okay, God hasn't chosen any of these. He doesn't say, well, God must have made a mistake. You know, he doesn't say that. He understands God is sovereign, God is provident, God is uh, omniscient, all that. So then Samuel said to Jesse in verse 11, what? Are all your sons here? He had a, 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 a cognitive moment here in realizing something's not right with this situation. God brought me here to anoint one of this guy's sons, king, and I just went through them all. Something's not right. So, Jesse, are these, are you sure these are all your kids? Do you want to count again? And look at what happens. And he said, well, there's this young one. But, you know, he's out keeping the sheep. Yeah, there's no way, right? See, see this, is, this is God's standard. This is God's evaluation. It's not like ours. Of all the people that you would think who would be the next king of Israel... It would not have been this kid. He's out watching the sheep. None of his other brothers were. He was the low guy in the totem pole. He was out there doing that, not because he wanted to, but because that's what they told him to do. (laughs) He's keeping the sheep. And Samuel says to Jesse, you know what? Go get him, for we're not going to go sit down until he comes here. 
And at this point, Samuel's probably thinking, I got a sneaky suspicion that this is the guy. It's got to be. There's nobody else. Go get him. We're not going to do anything else until you go get him. Verse 12. And he sent and he brought him in. Sent and he brought him in. You know, you see the selection here, and it emphasizes not David is this ultimate warrior, whatever, but it really emphasizes God's power in our weakness. And that's how God works. God doesn't always pick the mighty and the strong. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, it tells us that, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> I'll just read it for you. Paul says, chapter 126 he says for i consider your for consider your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to worldly standards who's he talking to other believers not many of you were powerful not many were of noble birth but god chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise god chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong god chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, what? Boast in the Lord. You know, that's just the way God works. So he's not looking for the, the, the brightest. He's not looking for the, the, the most strapping guy here. He's saying, you know what? I see the heart. I see beyond all the external flashy stuff. And really, that's how Jesus dealt with a lot of this too, right? I mean, even in, in the New Testament, we, we see Christ... Uh, Pointing out, remember when the um, when the uh, uh, Pharisee was on the corner and all dressed up in his cloak and he's praying, watching everybody's watching him, and um, there's some guy in the corner that doesn't even feel worthy to lift his head and look at God. He's beating his chest and he's crying out to God, and he says, "Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner." Um, that's really the heart that God is looking for, and He found it here in. Israel. He found it in the heart of David. And so he goes on here and he says, send, get him, bring him, bring him in. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy. All right. Kind of has the idea that his, uh, he had red hair. He had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. What's interesting is this word for handsome doesn't mean handsome in the way that you think a king would be handsome. It means kind of handsome in the way a grandmother might call a grandson. Oh, you're so handsome, you know. I mean, that's the kind of like a cute handsome, you know. Uh, He's a kid. And so it wasn't like, oh, you know, he's just judging the else. No, he's just saying, hey, okay, he he was good looking too. But that's not the reason he chose him. So he's, he's ruddy, he has beautiful eyes, he's handsome. And Yahweh said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. 
This is the one. You finally got him. His selection emphasizes his power and our weakness. But it tells us that he says, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. This is the one whom I have chosen, is what, what God is saying here. This will be the king. This is the one that will change history forever. It's through this lineage that the Messiah will come. So God is laying down his plan, his purpose here. And we see in verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, remember, and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall after Samuel left? There's all the strapping young men, the seven brothers, and here's David, this shepherd, uh, standing there dripping with oil. And they probably said, yeah, okay, we get it. Uh, He thinks you're going to be the king, but you know what? Get back out there to the sheep. (laughs) And that's exactly what happened. He went back, and he went out to, to, to shepherd, shepherd the sheep. And so, the Spirit, though, would make the difference. And like I said, when they anointed him, the Spirit of, of Yahweh rushed upon David. It has the idea that, that, that God is empowering him for all that's to come. But also, that the next verse says, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So, the only thing that really made Saul any successful success as a king at all was the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And it gave him the ability to do even more than what he could have done in his own, his own power. And so here we see the Spirit of the Lord departing Saul, but he comes upon David. And then... In verse 14, you see not only uh, his, his choice of David, but his control of Saul. God is not stepping back. He's not just saying, okay, uh, we got a new king now. Saul, you're done. Remember, it's, it's probably 20 or 30 years that continue before King David actually takes his rightful throne in Israel. Saul continued to hold on to the throne for all that time. And we're going to read about it in the coming chapters. It doesn't get pretty, but it's, it's, it's a reality. And then here's David. He's anointed the king. And, and basically when he did that, it's like, you know, it's like, hey, you, this is what you will be doing. You will be fulfilling God's role uh, through the kingship. And... Verse 14 says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And look at this. God even has control over the spirits. He says, A harmful spirit from Yahweh tormented him. It doesn't say it possessed him. It says it tormented him. So at one point, Saul has the Holy Spirit anointing him. Within probably a couple minutes, it's a demon tormenting him. That's the judgment from God. 
But even the judgment has a purpose and it has a plan. And this is what is just kind of interesting. He sends this, this evil spirit, it says in verse 14, to torment him. We don't know what kind of torment it was. Probably, maybe it could be mental torment, whatever. He had some issues, obviously. Because as we read here, Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. So they must have seen something going on. Maybe it looked like he was possessed or whatever. It doesn't say that he possessed him. But somehow this spirit was affecting his well-being. And it says in verse 16, Let our Lord, lowercase, now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. In other words, we've got to get your mind kind of distracted here, Saul. You're, you're consumed with this tormenting spirit, and when this happens, we've got to find something that will kind of ease your pain. Because, in a way, it's kind of like a marriage. You know, if the king's not happy, nobody's happy. You know, they say, you know if, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. It's the same thing. Well, they understood that, so they said, we've got to do something. So we've got to find somebody that's a musician. Well, guess what? Verse 18. One of the young men answered. Notice he was young. So maybe he was one of David's friends or something. Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing. A man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And Yahweh's with him. <laughs> so this is a a good thing that we can get this guy in here. We can trust him. He seems like a, a reputable individual. He's very skillful, musician. I mean, he wrote most of the Psalms, so he obviously could play the lyre or the fiddle or whatever he was playing, guitar, lyre, they call it. But he was a very skilled musician. And so you have God sending the evil spirit, then they... God's in control of this situation. They seek out this man to play the harp. He creates this problem, and they have to fix it. And they say, we've got to get somebody who plays the harp. Well, guess what? <laughs> he supplies the one who would take the place of Saul. He brings him right into the presence of the king, even though he's anointed as the new king. And, and nobody even knows. That's just crazy. And it, it's a really incredible thing that happens. And it says in verse 19, Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son who is with the sheep. So they must have told Saul, Okay, yeah, he's got this kid. And he's a really good musician. He's a neat kid, good, good you know, character, everything. And, uh, but he tends the sheep out there. So he sends a message to Jesse. And Jesse, it says... Verse 20, took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And so he, he kind of reached out and said, all right, we have to kind of reach out to uh, Saul here in a smart way. He is the king. You know, we can't say, hey, I'm sending my boy over. He's the next king, you know, and he's going to play the, that wouldn't have went well. So they, they had to kind of come up with a, a deal here, and that's what they did. They decided that, you know what, we're going to flatter him. Took a donkey laden with bread, right? Food's the key to a man's heart. Skin of wine, a young goat. 
and said, here, son, you're going to go to uh, Saul's house, <laughs> and you're going to play, and hopefully you'll play well. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and look at this sentence, and Saul loved him greatly. He had no idea. Saul loved him greatly. Here's someone who now is endued with the presence of the Lord through the power of the Spirit. Saul, on the other hand, is tormented by a demon. You have uh, someone who, in the, in the person of Saul, is, is turning away from the Lord. He doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. And yet you have David, who obviously... Yahweh was with him, that's what it tells us. So he, he, was, he had a heart for God. And he comes in, and I, I wonder what kind of music David played for him. I bet you it was things that maybe even he wrote. You know, things like some of the Psalms. Who knows? You know, I mean, you just, you don't know. I'm not saying they were actually the Psalms, but I'm saying they could be similar to that. But I'm sure that they were honoring and glorifying of Yahweh because that's where his heart was. And so David came and entered into his service, and Saul loved him greatly, probably because he eased the pain of this torment. And he became his armor-bearer. Verse 22, And Saul said to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the harmful spirit departed from him. You wonder what Sam or what uh, David is thinking during this whole time, right? I mean, he knows that. Okay, I mean, Samuel, no doubt, told him, "Hey, you're going to be the next king." And now he's in the presence of the king, who's the acting king, and uh, going to be there for years. And yet, he totally trusts God through all this. You know, uh, he could have grown impatient. He could have said, well, wait a minute, no, you know, um, you don't understand. I'm not going to do this for you. You're going to do this for me or whatever. But that's, he, you can just see the humbleness in his heart, right? It wasn't, I remember when I was a youth pastor, associate pastor, and I'd always, uh, you know, worked with several senior pastors. And sometimes, you know, they'd make decisions that just were, I didn't make any sense. Didn't make any sense at all to me. And I would just be pulling my hair out because I had hair then. Just be pulling my hair out and going, man, I, I can't believe. But, you know, I was always very careful. You know, I, I never wanted to be viewed as a threat or tell them how to do the job or whatever. So I would just, a lot of times, just sit there and just watch. And I thought, I don't know why God asked me in this thing, because it was frustrating, to be honest. It'd be like having, having the ability to, to, to manage a company, a manager group of people, and you go in and you have to work for somebody in a group that has no manager skills at all. I mean, can you imagine that? You, you'd go nuts. You'd be like, why aren't they doing this? Why? You know, but you know what? That's not your place. That's not your position. And so you have to be patient. And that's, I think, what David clearly understood here. And... Uh, he served Saul just like he would, and he probably did it with all his heart. And he benefited. Saul benefited from it. He was refreshed. He was, he was well. And it says, when he would do this, the harmful spirit departed from him. 
So I think God allowed this to take place, not only to teach Saul a lesson, right, but to even to teach Samuel a lesson, to teach uh, David a lesson. And the lesson really is that, you know what, I'm in control of this. I have this. This is not something you need to, you know, be alarmed about. This will be the next king, and uh, he, he will usher in the Messiah. His lineage will bring in the Messiah. You know, it's kind of like David in, is, is kind of the, the lineage where, where Christ comes through. It's kind of like the Old Testament, uh, or in the New Testament, where you have John the Baptist bringing in Christ. Okay, well, you think of Samuel, what's he doing? He's bringing in David, who is the, the lineage of Christ. And it's just kind of a neat, neat picture uh, to see that. And then you have Saul, who was chosen because of his looks and all this stuff. And he's on a fast path down from here on. And that's what we'll find a little bit more in the, in the next coming weeks.